Shalom and welcome to another episode of Mamish, the Oi and Joy of Family. I'm your host, Lori Fine, here to bring you laughs, stories, and a little walk away wisdom for fellow travelers on this wild ride where our community and traditions are our greatest guide. We have a very, very special episode today in honor of Father's Day, and that is that I am here in my house with the father of all of my kids, my husband, Marty. Let's give a little shout out for Marty, everybody. Woo-hoo! Okay, that was Marty giving himself a shout out. <laughs> okay, well, here we are. And first of all, I want to say, Marty, thank you. Because without you, I would not have this beautiful family. Well, you might have it, just, you know, a very different looking one. Well, it wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be the same. Well, Let's talk about that. What do you think is unique about our family because of you? Well, all the children look exactly like me is what people say. Oh, you wish. And they're always talking about how beautiful they are. So that's always very, you know, complimentary to me. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Of course. I I don't know. I think they're little senses of humor. I think they're all very kind of dry and sarcastic because of me. And I think that they have some quirks. I have the kind of same reaction to a lot of stuff. And Adiel's, some of the things she used to do when she was a little girl, remind me of myself. Making up songs and singing them to myself as I work or whatever. That's so funny. I do that too. Yep. Well, I guess a lot of kids do it. But like, Adiel was also good at it. (laughs) She has still a few songs, right? That we still sing today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep, that one. That was a good one. The one about, what was it? A rock. New rock. So, yeah, I think each of them has something about me. It's kind of random the way. I think if you get, take all the kids and take out all the little bits of me they have, you'd probably get a whole me. And vice versa, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that, that's probably true. I definitely give you the credit for a lot of their sense of humor and whatever their abilities might be in math are definitely all from you and i think yeah i think that you have i mean i think they're very very proud of the mexican side of their heritage which is obviously all you or my mom (laughs) i give a lot of the credit to my mom for teaching them about being you know their mexican heritage because you know i grew up in la and she grew up in mexico and she has all had all her stories about her growing up poor in very sort of humble beginnings and taking care of my uncles and aunts when they were little and kind of being the one forced to not go to school, to help run the household. And memories about my my great-grandmother who really raised my mom. My, my grandmother, my mom's mom, was working all the time, was a working single parent for much of my mom's childhood. So, you know, my mom really was raised by my grandma, great-grandmother, Carlota. And she was a very strong person. She was a smuggler. She had a Model T. Really, she had a Model T. She had a middle, million sayings. She had, like, literally zero education. I don't think she could even read. But she had a sense of, like, pride and dignity that she taught my mom and that my mom passed on to us. And I th- like to think I have somewhat passed on to our children. There was never an excuse for being disheveled or dirty when I was a kid. It didn't matter that we were poor. Our clothes had to be cleaned and there couldn't be holes in our pants. And if that meant there had to be a patch on a patch on a patch, so be it. But, you know, there was a certain like modicum of self-worth that we had that we were always told that, you know, you're better than 
then we're not like people who don't bathe every day and don't clean their clothes and take care of their things and keep their house clean and mow their lawn or, you know, cut the grass in the back, etc. My mom had a very set idea of like the proper way to live life. And I think that when she was here, whenever she was with the kids, I think she passed some of that on them to them directly. I don't think they got it all from me, which is nice because once in a while I'll hear something from them that they heard from my mom that I didn't hear from her. So, Well, your mom had a great sense of humor. I spent so many, many years and, you know, your mom would come twice a year for about a month at a time. So we spent a lot of time together and especially yeah. those years when I was at home with the kids, we would go out, we would go to museums all day together we would run around and, and do different activities. Yeah, she, we spent a lot of time at the kitchen table with coffee, talking about, you know, her childhood and growing up and how she did principles. She was a, an amazing, amazing woman. I think some of the things I learned from your mom, one of them I think uh, is, you know, talk about walk away wisdom. Like one of the things I would always think about with her is how much she accomplished a little bit at a time. I think that, well, first of all, I was certainly raised, my mom is very much more about like the dramatic gesture and she does big stuff and we'll spend a whole day doing like a ton and then we'll spend a whole day cleaning out the closet or whatever. And it's always in big chunks and sometimes it can be a bit much. And But I also always thought like, oh, well, you've got to make a big move if you want to get something done. And I definitely learned from your mom observing her also kind of in, in the way that she was like my dad's mom, Nana, who also lived with us. She just got so much done in a day without looking like she was, if she was going to be making something for dinner, she would spend 15 minutes cutting up the vegetables and then she would go rest or read a book or watch a little TV and then she'd come back and she'd do another 10 or 15 minutes and, you know, she'd throw in a load of laundry, a little here, a little there. If you looked at her, you might think she spent the whole day mostly relaxing, but the reality was she accomplished so much. And I, oh my gosh, when the kids were little, I loved it. Cause whenever your mom was around, the house always looked good. She would just do a little this and that and, and it would just make a world of difference. So I think that's one of the very important lessons I learned from your mom is how much you can accomplish a little bit at a time. Yeah. You know, there's stories of my mom forcing people to clean. Oh my gosh, Pancha, your aunt, that was hysterical. Yeah, yeah, that story goes something like, my aunt was talking uh, to us after my mom passed, and she was talking about how she had this very specific memory of like Saturdays kind of being everybody's day off, and the, like, the hope was you would be able to sleep in because, you know, when you wake up for school, it's so early, and they would be able to sleep in, and then they could wake up late and, and just do stuff and goof off all day, and my mom would have none of that. So my mom basically... <laughs> at 8 a.m. on the dot, would put on really loud mariachi music and wake everybody up, up clanking pans together. <laughs> she said she would give everybody a pan with hot water and yep. soap in it. And they had like their little section of the wall that they had That's to clean. Hot water, boiling hot water. She would boil little pots of water with soap <laughs> and give everybody a rag and a pot of boiling hot, soapy water. So that not only would they clean the floors and the furniture, but the walls, because the walls were like paneled. So they would clean the entire house that way. It was spotless. And, and how many children was this? 
So I guess if if my were aunt, they all home at the same time? Your uh, mom was the oldest no, girl. My mom was the oldest girl, and you know my uncles were probably my uncle Pete got married very young, as did my my tío Choi. So I think my mom would have probably been the oldest at that time. But so there would have been at least seven other children, so there were other people in the house. And the funny part about my aunt telling the story is that she says the the mariachi music was always like the worst part of it <laughs> because she would just crank it to like the highest level and it was like and it was just immediately wake you up and then you know they'd have to so yeah so now did mom, your mom stay so yeah you know, when you were kids there was a very hard line rule on Saturdays that if we wanted to watch Saturday morning cartoons we had to get the house clean and so we would actually wake up early and make breakfast, and then get right to it. And we each had a job. Most of the time I did the outdoor stuff. My brother did the indoor stuff, you know, vacuuming and dusting. Like, people don't dust anymore. We dusted. Every piece of furniture had to have no dust on it. My mom would come home from, like, the supermarket and sort of check our work, and the house had to be spotless. And then, like, the statement of approval would happen, and suddenly we could have TV. And... You know, we would, she could always pull that on us. She would come home, turn off the TV and say, okay, I want this room clean before you can keep watching your show. And because like, we're in the middle of a show. Oh my gosh. You know, we would get it clean. So she had little ways of, of enticing us, not just sort of ordering us around, but you know, so we always grew up in a very clean house. And I remember so many times cleaning up the house on Saturday, only to have my parents throw a party for relatives and having everybody come over and leave, you know, their their glasses on the on the coffee table without a coaster and we'd be like, <laughs> you know, such terrible hosts walking around and like picking up people's drinks and throwing away their plates of food and stuff because they were leaving it around and complaining bitterly after the party that like, why do we have these parties? It just undoes all of our work. <laughs> Does this sound familiar, Laura? Right. Why well, have fun when when you can just <laughs> leave the house? We were the next day because we knew that meant Sunday would have to be spent doing this exact same thing we did on Saturday. Oh, boo, boo, poor baby. Well, okay. Let's let's talk more about since this is in honor of Father's Day. This is, look, obviously, one lesson here is that you learn to be a father not just from your father but also from your mother. You learn to be a grown up from both parents. But I mean, I love your mom and we could definitely do many episodes just about her and her life and her lessons that she taught all of us. But I want to talk a little bit more about you. So, you know, what, what would you say to yourself as a young man if you knew now what you knew about being a father? Oh, it's way harder than you were thinking it was going to be. Okay. Way harder. I mean, we had this discussion the other day, right? Like, I think a lot of guys I know, their idea of being a good dad is just being like better than their their dad. I came from a working class neighborhood, you know, all of our dads were always at work, working late, leaving early and not spending time. You know, we didn't have a lot of time with my dad when I was growing up. There were literally years where I think I saw the guy like, you know, for fleeting moments, either on his way out the door or on his way back in. And so I always said to myself, well, when I'm young, you know, when I'm a a parent, I'm going to spend a lot of time with my kids and make sure that even if I have a you know demanding job, I'm going to make time for them. I think you definitely do. No, but it was a very conscious effort to do that. I mean, I'm you know me, I'm very easily the type of person that can just sort of get lost in my work. But I, I do make that effort consciously because I didn't get that with my dad. And I'm not 
faulting him because I used to, I used to fault him. I actually did. I, I thought, I'm not going to be that way. That's a bad way to be. And I think as we had kids and as we both had to sort of progress in our careers and make a lot of choices, it really dawned on me that, oh my gosh, this is a lot harder job than I thought it was going to be. And to come home and be exhausted from work and then read to a child was this like a terrible task that was just so hard, especially after like dinner and food coma and just literally wanting to just plots and go to sleep. No, there's this little being that sits next to you with a pile of books and wants them all read to you, read to them. It was a real challenge. And I realized, you know, you know, my dad did some stuff with us. He'd play chess with us and he'd talk to us about articles he read in like the National Geographic. But I realized, oh my God, this this is really hard stuff, this raising children <laughs> bit. And then we had another one and another. And it certainly was, you realize that you stand on the shoulders of giants in more than one way. You, you, you realize that you're really lucky that your parents did the things that they did do. Because my dad had a very demanding job. He ran a he ran a mechanic shop. It was his, and you know it was all him. He had to be there. He had to be the first person there, the last person to lock up. Uh, it was a very dangerous neighborhood. He never got mugged, thank God. He always had tons of cash in his pockets from the jobs he did. He did an all cash business, and uh, Hashem, he never he never was robbed or or burglarized or anything. Well, at least not that he told you. <laughs> probably not. No, and if he did, he'd probably be like, "Well, that happens." He wouldn't even call the police, probably. My dad was such a live and let live type person. So, like I said, my my parenting style really was born of that, you know, desire to sort of one up my dad and maybe provide a better life for my kids in many different ways. And honestly, I think he did a great job realizing Aww. how hard it is. Well, look at the product here. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, we when we were young, we tended to give my mom kind of all the credit for raising us because she was the one who was always around, but my dad taught us a lot of important lessons like hard work and, you know, responsibility. I mean, stuff that my my mom used to tell a story about how my dad never missed a day of work except for when his appendix burst and he was hospitalized. That is... Excuses, excuses. Right. He would go to work with the flu and with whatever ailments and he hurt his back carrying these heavy car parts and stuff like he worked on transmissions and you know I, I remember him lugging them over his shoulder and uh, he was pretty strong when he was young and as he got older I think it caught up with him so it didn't matter he he really had this idea that it was all on him and I think my dad wasn't the greatest re with responsibility as a young guy he really shirked it in a lot of ways certainly before I was born I think my my brothers and sisters certainly saw it part of my dad that I never saw, which was a more immature person who really wasn't so great, you know, wasn't so happy with the idea of having young children and a, and a family and having to provide for them. And I think by the time I came around, my dad had basically said, this is something I have to do, which of course I didn't know until much later that this was an issue, right? I, I grew up with this idea of a super hardworking dad who was happy to go to work all day and do all this stuff for us, you know? And it really wasn't the case. He really had but, to force himself initially to to be that guy. It wasn't it wasn't easy. I I mean, I think that certainly I feel like I've grown and developed over time as a parent. I'm sure you must also. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I firmly believe that children are the reflection, their little personalities 
to the extent that they're it's nurture rather than nature because I think a lot of it is nature but to the extent that they develop uh, personalities I think they're little reflections of the way that you treat them so I think with Aviva and Marguerite, our, our two oldest children, boy, it was hard for me to, like I said, to make the effort to read to them. And I'd read like the shortest books possible. <laughs> you know, I, I had like... You'd always sing them the most depressing songs. For, like, it was just whatever just... was on the radio <laughs> that I remembered the lyrics because I wasn't going to go and get like a book and sing them songs out of a book. So it was, yeah, it was like the Smiths. Um, yeah. He, he dies at the end. <laughs> And he doesn't make it home, does he, guys? And she's like, what? What better way to send them off to dreamland? <laughs> no, but, you know, that was all, it was so hard. So I I know that, maybe not so much Marguerite, but with Aviva, a lot of times it's like, hey, Aviva, help with this. And it's like this big deal. Oh, I've got to do this. And for, since the time she was a little girl to now. Whereas I think of, like, Israela and Nadiel, you know? After I was already, like, worn smooth by the roughness of the current of parental life, <laughs> where I can... Definitely think of many times with Ariel and Izzy both, where they're like, read me three books. And I'd be like, sure, let's just do this. The road to sleep lies after reading three books and making my daughters happy so they could go Oh, you think you made the older ones beg a little bit more? The older ones definitely had to ask and really like force me to not like fall asleep and, you know, catch me before I snuck off to bed or something. (laughs) Whereas the younger ones, like, you know, they kind of, if they asked for something, I would say yes. And and those two kids are, even to this day, are so helpful. And if you need anything, I mean, they do this all the time, you know. Sure, I'll go get it. And yeah, they're very sweet natured. Now the older ones take advantage of the young ones because they'll be like, oh, go get me a soda from the garage fridge. And it's like, Izzy will say, oh, absolutely, sure, I'll, go, I'll be right back. Yeah, <laughs> that I do think is their nature. But you're right. I think that's definitely true. It's so funny. I mean, I felt like one of my greatest parenting innovations was with Izzy when she wasn't really learn, she really wasn't learning to read because she had an eyesight problem and I could not stay awake at night to read to her I just couldn't and I was like well this kid's got to learn how to read somehow so I would wake her up early and it ended up actually being the nicest thing like if I could go back in time and do that with all of them I totally would because in the morning you can have a half an hour and it was such sweet time and she kind of could wake up slowly. So we were never late because we were already like fully awake by the time she would start having to get ready for school. But yeah, I, I definitely, there were a lot of, yeah, I remember also because when I would read at night, I mean, I was always dozing off and Aviva would give you a whack. And yeah, I do remember her punching you. She would punch and Izzy would just gently squeeze your mm-hmm. arm like, Hello, I think Adiel would I'm shake still... you, like put her hand on your shoulder, shake you violently to wake you up. They all had their own way of, of trying to revive you for the reading. But, you know, the other thing I would say, though, is I think I, you know, you and I always talk about how we have very different parenting styles. And I think we're kind of reflect our parents a lot. And so, I don't know, I think I tend to be a lot more, I was a lot, certainly when we were young, a lot more of a disciplinarian you were more likely to talk to the kids and reason with them about why it was important to do something or not do something. Whereas I would just assume maybe yell at them <laughs> or punish them. And as I got older, I think I realized like for the, for our daughters who are very sweet girls and, and very deep feeling, it was bad enough just to be yelled at. <laughs> it was bad enough just to have like, to have even like moderate disapproval 
from either of us that they didn't need any other kind of like any physical or any other kind of punishment. They they really did not like feeling like they weren't that they were on the outs with us. Right. So as I got older, I think I became uh, less sort of disciplinary and I think a lot more kind of, you know, cooler about about stuff with the kids when they would misbehave. I think a lot of misbehavior, especially in young kids, but even older, I used to just think, do I know adults who have meltdowns? Well, yes, I do. And, you know, they. I just always thought about them as just, they're not yes, but necessarily no. well, in full control. It's not on purpose necessarily when they have a meltdown. Yeah. Sometimes they just need some time to calm themselves down. And there's no amount of yelling at them that is going to get them to calm down. Certainly yelling at somebody never calms anybody down. Getting them to calm down is, is really not the point. It's getting them to just be quiet. So, <laughs> you know, I can remember several times wanting to be the reasonable parent, sort of talking about stuff and just saying, you know what? You just got to do it. It is what it is, kiddo. I'm the dad and you're the kid. Well, look, that's one that I think that that difference in parenting style and particularly the dad being a little bit more matter of fact about things and the mom being a little more huggy and sympathetic is, it may be a stereotype, but I think that it's often based in truth, or, and in some families it might go the other way. But I think that's, to me, one of the great things about having two parents is that you do get the benefit of different styles. And if a parent's job is to basically turn a little baby into an adult over a very long period of time, the fact that you have multiple approaches and that a kid learns how to navigate both of those approaches I think I mean I see it in our own kids and I think in general I think it's very helpful in that sense I I guess what I'm trying to say is that parents don't necessarily need to have the same approach or always be on the same page about everything in the end having somewhat different approaches can actually be to the kid's benefit well definitely because you got to have one parent that's always right so with you and I that was me Right, of course. you know, without me, they would have... Just been wrong all the time. Been wrong all the time, and, you know, they'd be like little wild wolves, so... (laughs) Is that... That's my parenting is raising wild wolves. (laughs) Uh, You let them do a lot of things that I never would have let them do. You used to let them, like, paint in the bathtub and do art projects, in quotation marks, all over the house, and I'd come home to, like, just a living room full of cut-up paper and, you know popsicle sticks and whatever project of the day you were doing with them yeah my attitude was always if they clean it up then who cares just sweep sure remember one time we have a friend who is keeps a very very orderly and formal house like very very expensively decorated and very beautiful and her kid was playing and we were putting they had these like little gel letters that they stuck all over the back window and you could like make pictures or spell words out. And I remember the kid was just like, I can't believe you're letting us do this. My mom would never let us do this. You know, I I took it as a badge of honor personally. I remember many times children of our friends coming over for play dates and marveling at some project you'd have for them that, yeah, that they were allowed to basically destroy our house no 
No, well, you know, there was always some kind of a mess in the kitchen or in the playroom to clean up. <laughs> but that's great. Like, yeah, you know, I was not as fun. I'm also very... I don't know if the kids would agree with that. I think they think you're a ton of fun. You well, were always like the go out to the movies or go take them to the mall, buy them shoes. There are certain things that you did a lot that they thought was just incredible. Yeah, I had... Well, when Toys R Us was still in business, we had the birthday trip to Toys R Us with some kind of a, a budget and each child approached it very differently. Margalee, you know, always would try to maximize the value of what was bought and get like three or four things and like if it was a $50 limit, make sure that she got, you know, $48.99 or whatever or better. And Viva would just pick the first thing that just caught her eye <laughs> and just not even think about it and she'd get like something worth $12. Like she did with Danny that one time where she got the tadpole kit that cost like $14 when she could have had literally anything in Toys R Us. So yeah, we've always had different sort of a different focus on what we did with the kids sometimes. Well, let but, me you know, in terms of just finishing the thought about like parenting style, you know, when I when I actually put thought into it, <laughs> I wasn't just sort of reacting to, to these little kids uh, who are just adorable. And then it, it really helps to have cute kids because... Uh, you know, especially when they look exactly like you. Yeah, it was like literally the minute Aviva was born and I'm lying there out, just out of surgery, like still half drugged up and she's in her little bassinet and you brought her over to show me and you said, oh my gosh, when you were pregnant, I always thought that she would look like you and I would love her so much. But now that she's born, I see she looks like me. And I love her even more. I did say that. Aw, there's nothing like self-love. Well, the amazing thing about Aviva, and I've explained this to people before and they agree, is it's amazing to see something so brand new and familiar. Aw, that's true. Well, you and Aviva are like peas in a pod. I mean, not only do you look alike, but I feel like your brains are somehow magically meshed. Yeah. And, you know, we're very proud of our eldest daughter, Aviva. She's a Harvard graduate, employed in her career, amazing, relatively well-adjusted person who is a, a very bright person, and we've always been very proud of her. But the things that always gave me so much pleasure about Aviva was part of, of being who I am was I would train her to be, like, very clean as a, as a child. Oh, really? Like, when I would feed her, I'd give her something in her hand, and then she put it in her mouth. And then I would wipe her little hand clean and give her another carrot or whatever. And so after a while, she just got used to sort of sticking her little hand out so that I could clean it. Like, Aww, know. training the OCD young. Yeah, so, you know, that all that OCD stuff was, was definitely me. Good job, honey. <laughs> yeah. But no, the, the, the last thing I'll say, though, about parenting styles, I think, is that I think one of the nice things about getting married is you see your in-laws. Because that sort of helps figure out what's going on. You thought that was one of the nice things about it? Well, I'm going to tell... Well, now you're forcing me to tell another story about the... No, I won't tell that story about coveting somebody else's in-laws and asking whether that was a sin. No, but your dad is a very sweet guy. Your dad reminded me a lot of my my grandfather, my step-grandfather, because he loved his children, to I think, to a, almost to a fault, where he just was not a disciplinarian. He was always sort of... Not making excuses for kids, but always maybe even overly understanding where they were coming from. You're talking about my dad? Or... Yeah, your dad and my grandfather were the same. Very forgiving of of anything. 
always preferring to sort of keep things positive and 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 it was nice my grandfather was a very positive uh influence in i think my parenting style that the danger of being really a disciplinarian and a bit of an ogre is that you you cut off your own kids and that to sort of keep the channels of communication open notwithstanding maybe you don't like their politics maybe you don't like the way that they keep their room messy or whatever but like just overseeing things and just kind of being maintaining a sort of big picture approach that you love them and you want to see them succeed and you want them to be happy and you want them to just be around i think is something your father excelled at and my <laughs> grandfather did too so it was interesting to see two very different backgrounds resulting in a kind of similar way of treating your own children and and being i think very successful at being a, a father in both cases yeah. yeah yeah and then your dad he did spend all his time with you guys i've heard the stories about his work vacations his work trips became vacations because they would lug you guys around all the time your mom and dad so that was something he I think... really just took a lot of pleasure and my dad was like even though he he always stuck to his roots i mean he grew up with absolutely nothing and even though he achieved a lot and he went to Penn and he became a lawyer and a very well-respected patent attorney, he, he always was such a humble guy. And the things that made him so happy were just the smallest things. If the kids would bring him toast or bring him a drink, it just, that was all he really, I know where he all got that. he needed. He just was just you got that your your grandmother sitting reading the paper watching them play was just he got so much pleasure out of that and i mean when we were kids when we were little he really just enjoyed hanging out with us he drove a lot of carpools i remember a lot of stuff like him taking us for rides he once had this like little convertible and he would just drive us around or he would do these, like, take these funny pictures from, like, a weird angle so it would look like, you know, I'm holding you in my fingers or whatever. And just fun little things. He was just around a lot. I mean, I guess that was back in the day when they actually had nine-to-five jobs for lawyers. I don't know if that even exists anymore. Nope. But he was he was home in the evenings. So I that was I remember him doing so many things for me. I remember in high school, he was a very good typist. And until I learned how to type, he would take my horrible handwriting and he would read my papers and he would type them up for me. And we would sit there together. I'd read it to him out loud and he would type. That was one of the things I remember him doing. Or I remember I would make little cards. I would draw greeting cards. And he was always so encouraging. Oh, you should have a business. These are the most amazing cards. He always he was very encouraging that way. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Yeah, I was less so with the kids. I think they were a little <laughs> more critical. But I think it was good because I think... I don't think so. I think that you gave them a lot of encouragement. Sure. But I think, you know, this is a nice picture, but you probably could have done better. That was something that you might hear from me from time to time with the kids. Maybe. Two other questions that I always ask mm-hmm. everyone on this program. And so one of them is, how do you... Think about setting your priorities because everyone knows there's never enough money. There's never enough time and you just can't do everything. And as a parent and as a father, how do you end up making those decisions about what is, 
I mean, other than just listening to me, which is, of course, the best way of doing it. But well, number one, that is definitely like copying <laughs> off your neighbor's uh, term paper is always a good idea if they're smarter than you. And I think you. I don't know about that. Look, I mean, <laughs> like I said, I think I think the way that I was raised is very old fashioned. My mom was a strict disciplinarian. My dad just working all the time, not a lot of interaction. And I, I saw the kind of family you came from. Uh, very interactive, very involved. And I always thought that that was probably the better lead to follow. So we were talking about how you set priorities. Yeah, well, I think, I think having time for fun is always important. I, I really am a big believer in letting children sleep as long as they want and as possible <laughs> because poor little little guys are going to at some point have to get a job or go to school or whatever. And, and they'll never be prepared at that point. No, it's just uh, I hate waking sleeping babies. I guess I even when they're like 23, that's still something I do. But <laughs> no, I, I think in terms of priorities, it's you want them... Boy, you know, we demand so much of our kids. You know, everybody wants their kids to go to these Ivy League schools or to excel in art or music or, you know, performances or just so many things, sports. We put all these demands on these kids. It's amazing the kids that are, that I meet now, like the interns at my work or, you know, some of them are like college athletes and they're got these amazing GPAs and they're doing all this incredible stuff. And a lot of it is they're being driven by their parents but, you know, uh, it's, it's sometimes I think downtime is undervalued. We had a lot of downtime when I was little, and I loved it. It was some of the best times of my life were just being in my backyard, just kind of doing nothing, you know, kind of just relaxing with my dog. You know, yes, maybe digging a hole or something or sawing something in half that I wasn't supposed to, like my mom's broomstick, all-time favorite. Got a lot of, in a lot of trouble for that. So, no, I mean, those those times of just sort of exploring and there's no schedule and I had hours in my backyard and I was never bored. I was, always found something, maybe something my, my mom didn't like. Like, I was a huge pyromaniac with firecrackers, always looking to blow something up. Huh, what happens when you put a big firecracker in a peach? Let's find out. <laughs> you know, just always kind of inquisitive and testing things i think that that's kind of i mean when you talk about all those messy art projects like that was a big piece of my mom said that when i was little i didn't have any toys i really didn't i had a baseball glove and then i had my dad's saw my dad's hammer what could be better for a kid than a pile of scrap wood that i would make something that was just terrible then break it or burn it or destroy it and start all over again that was for me I think that made me interested in science and made me interested in a lot of things and art. And that I credit with really, I think, a lot of my sort of ability to sort of put things together as an adult and to enjoy learning, like reading and just learning about new things. So I definitely think our kids all have that capacity. I think that we definitely... We definitely let them be up to their own devices quite a lot. They had, you know, certainly... Yeah, I love that. Especially when they would do it in the basement as a group and allow us to sleep. <laughs> that was the best. Remember, we had the theory that since Aviva was a huge tattletale, 
that if anything bad happened, she would come up and tell us, which was true. So we could actually relax. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it's important. I, I remember several people over the years complimenting us on kids who knew how to entertain themselves. And even though we spent a lot of time with them, and I think that was also good, I also think we did leave them up to their own devices quite a lot and let them do stuff. And if they wanted to make something in the kitchen, I didn't really care if it came out that great or if they, you know, wanted to mix different toys together in a way that the toys didn't stay in the right box. Let them do that. And they, I remember they would build all kinds of crazy things. Like we had these, like some toy was just a bunch of little pieces of wood. And then they also had the magnetiles and they'd build these tree houses and castles and things. I think it was, I think, I think leaving them to figure out for themselves how to do things and how to entertain themselves and each other was definitely a priority for us. And it gives us a little free time too. I always called it my lazy mom method. Let them do it and then you don't have to do it and they get to learn. I always uh, marvel at the, the way that TV was very different in all of their lives. You know, with Aviva, I don't think Aviva even, we had that tiny little television, right? And I remember when my mom gave her... All we ever had was videos. It didn't even have. She didn't because she didn't watch TV. Um, She didn't watch broadcast television and she didn't have videos. Her first video my mother gave to her was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And until then, the only time Aviva was exposed to Snow White was a tape that you had in the minivan that played... uh, (laughs) all-time great songs and for Snow White rather than the three other probably superior songs sung by Snow White herself they have the Hi Ho song from beginning to end and so I remember Aviva watching it with my mom and loving it and just adoring the animation and that song came out the scene in the mine where they're uh, dig 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 yep, dig that's dig. how it starts and and she just flipped and said she was like starstruck she was like oh my god it's the Hi Ho Hi Ho look it's Hi Ho it's on television. She couldn't believe it. And, and that was good. I mean, Aviva didn't have a lot of television as a very small child. And I would say that Izzy and Nadiel did. Because... Well, I don't know so much. I mean, uh, yeah. They had Dora and they had a lot of, you know, Nickelodeon favorites. And they kind of grew up with TV a little bit more than Aviva did. And I think, you know, Aviva is... I'm not sure about that. I don't know if I agree 100% with that. Yeah. Well... I can watch a lot more TV. <laughs> I could definitely be. You can watch a little more sports with me, too. I, yeah, I remember telling Adiel, because she's the fourth, and she's not the last, and I always, I, I have a theory that the that the middle child in every family, no matter how many kids you have, the second to last one is your middle child, because they're the only one who doesn't really have anybody to boss around, they have the most people bossing them around, and the baby, you really can never boss around the baby, the baby is always the baby, and gets more attention and is always the cutest and is always the spoiled, you know, in, in that sense. I mean, not that they have to be spoiled, but, you know, they get a lot of affection and attention just because they're the littlest. And the second to last is the one who kind of doesn't quite get as much, the classic middle child. Anyway, that's my theory. But I remember one time Adiel was trying to, she wanted to, I, you were always watching sports by yourself and Adiel always wanted to find time with you. And I said, hey, Adiel, if you can learn how to enjoy watching baseball with daddy, you will have your niche within the daddy universe. 
Yeah, and then because I remember taking Adiel. She's like, oh, I want to go to a baseball game, Dad. I really love it. And I was kind of like, okay. And I yes, I remember that she would kind of snuggle up next to me and watch a game with me, and always, of course, end up falling asleep, draped all over me the way that kid always did. But uh, and I remember thinking, okay, so she maybe she does like this baseball thing. So I remember taking her to a game, and. We sit down and we have like the popcorn and the drink or whatever. And I think it was City Field or, you know, and we, we got a hot dog and she had a hot dog and she, you know, she, I remember she, then she asked like, how does the runner get on first? <laughs> she had no idea how the game was played. Like, well, now she does. Now she does. Yeah, she has a better sense. But I remember she wrote she... a term paper on the Dodgers and she was so proud of herself. And she asked you probably a jillion questions. I thought it was on Sandy Koufax. Yeah, I think, well, same thing. Right, she drew a nice picture of him with his uniform on and number 32. Yeah, it was cool. Well, that might be a good segue with the Sandy Koufax reference to the other question that I always ask the guests on this program. And that is... How do you feel your Jewish identity or practice impacts your parenting or community? Whatever it is about about Judaism or about being Jewish, how does it impact family life? Wow, that's a tough one because, you know, I think with the girls, because they're girls, it's a little different. Like, I always wondered, like, if I had a son, how would I pass on things? You know, they would be sitting with me our entire lives together in shul. Whereas the girls, after they become bat mitzvahs, they sit on the ladies' side. And so one by one, they would sort of graduate out of kind of being in my my Jewish hmm. my shul life. And I remember the last day Izzy spent with me at shul before she was bat mitzvahed. And it was very bittersweet because it was, you know, it was the kind of thing where I realized, like, that's kind of the end of an era where we could go to synagogue together and sit next to each other and enjoy each other's company observing the service. Because they're little ladies and I'm the dad, it's, 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 I think in some ways harder because a lot of my Judaism being a convert, I, I learned myself and a lot of it is sort of pent up in being a man. It's tefillin, talit, you know, being at synagogue at specific times, not that I'm always on time, but, and a lot of it is the ritual it, side of yeah, things. Yeah, the ritual side of things is very much male. It's almost like how Spanish has male and female words. I think Judaism has kind of like male and female like idioms of of observance. And they have equivalents and neither is better than the other, but they're different in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not passing that part of it on. Like and so that's that made it always a little bit sort of strained. I think I focused more on follow your mother's example you have a lot of great examples in your family your aunts you know your mother your grandmother who are always very dedicated to judaism and that jewish identity is not just the synagogue it's identifying with with israel and the jewish people which is something that for me is something i adopted but i'm very adamant about and i'm a very zionistic person oh my I, gosh i think the kids if they learned among the many things that they learned from you was your love of Jabotinsky. I mean, once you read that biography, it has been... But I think that there's a lot of lessons there that you infuse into... Well, honestly, I've always been a very patriotic person. And one of my favorite songs of all time that I play like every Sunday 
is Ragged, <laughs> Ragged Old Flag by Johnny Cash. <laughs> it is such a hokey, like, kind of very, like, folksy, patriotic. It's not even a song. He's just talking while this music plays in the background. It's like a poem. Uh-huh. And, but I just adore it. At the end of it, there's people whooping and like, woo! And I was feel that way inside when I when I listen to that. But I feel the same way about Israel. I feel very much like proud to be Jewish, proud to be, you know, a future Israeli citizen someday. Because it has such an amazing story. And I remember, remember when we were at Kesher and we would complain that there weren't enough services for the parents and the little kids. There was sort of this older contingent at the synagogue at that time when we first started going there that were happy at being sort of just an old person synagogue. And they didn't like all the kids making noise and a ruckus. And and we always felt like we were left out, I think, because there weren't a lot of children there. But we had children there. And, and now it's just packed with children. It's wonderful. But in those early days, I remember our friend uh, who said, well, we're the, we're the synagogue. We should do this stuff. We are the ones... And I remember, like, they organized the cookie minion, and then they've got the mikvah together. I mean, they started really, like, and it was like, I mean, if you think about it, that's just kind of an allegory for Israel. You know, there's people who took it upon themselves to make something happen. Huh. Otherwise, it wouldn't have. And it's a very personal thing. I mean, these people, you know, everybody has their favorites, you know, the giants of Israeli history, like Ben-Gurion and Jabotinsky. And, you know, I adore Jabotinsky because I think he had a lot to do with Israel being able to, frankly, defend itself from, um, you know, sure. attack after 48. And then afterwards, very successfully so. Uh, he had a huge hand in that. But, you know, these are people who were from other places, Poland, Russia, the Middle East, who had a vision and were very dedicated to it. And... You know, they risked everything to make, okay. it, to make it happen. And uh, anyway, so so that sort of love of, you know, Israeli history and, you know, yes, Jabotinsky, above all others, is something that I've, I think imparted on them. And the idea that, like, if there's anything I try to teach them is that don't take Israel for granted. Because certainly in our lifetime, I mean, when you and I were born, Israel, it's, uh, what, 20s? Right. Was definitely not necessarily considered a sure thing. Right. It was kind of like, well, we'll see how this Israel thing works out, I guess. And now here we are, you know, 75 years, which is kind of respectable. I mean, if you think about it, it's almost where the Amer America was during the Civil War, if you think about it. So it's, you know, established <laughs> place and is sort of a given. Um, well, I think, I mean, if you're going to go with that metaphor... The United States was very unstable during that period, and definitely things could have gone the other way. Sure. And okay. uh, I think that I well, I think I've learned from you a greater appreciation of the fragility, and I've always felt the need to support and advocate for Israel, but I think that it is also it's important to appreciate that fragility and that that's one of the reasons why to do that because it, 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 yeah. don't take it for granted don't take it for granted and and that if there was anything that i think made jabotinsky the greatest israeli uh you know, jewish leader was that he had a sense of how the immediacy of the danger he had a sense of that we need to do this now not okay. tomorrow it's funny i thought you were going to say something else which is the 
the power of the individual, which I think is also a great no, lesson well, for parenting. And I think you bring that up a lot is the that each individual brings a certain value. They bring their own uniqueness and their own unique background and oh, their wait, own I was unique totally skills. Able to say that, yeah. No, I do. I do. And I really do believe it. I think, you know, with, look, I mean, you and I are both lawyers. We, we worked very hard for our degrees. Thank God we're comfortable. But, you know, I think, I think with the kids, I, I honestly, I would be happy for them not to miss necessarily be a doctor or a lawyer. I want them to do something that they think is really important. Like truly important. Like raising children was important. You you took time off from your career to raise them. There was nothing more important than you could have done than raising these kids. Because um, I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> I helped. But that was as important a thing a person could do in their whole life. And But to sort of have a career in something that they really love and really... It doesn't mean that it's not work. That whole statement that if you do something you love, you never work a day of your life, I think is a lot of baloney. Because even things you love are a lot of work. Like kids. Yeah, if that ain't the truth. Right. So, you know, it's not really about that. It's more about, you know, I think just feeling like you're making a difference that matters. Not just to you, but to someone else. And I think that our, our kids are so into the arts, whether they're performing arts or fine, fine arts. You know, they've done so many things already in their lives that have brought us joy. You know, well, that is for sure. That is for sure. Yeah. But sort of going back to the, the original question of, you know, how I've tried to incorporate my Judaism in my parenting style or make priorities, like you said, it's it's just that. It's the big picture stuff. It's Israel. It's Shabbat is just a major part of how we interact as a family. Yeah. Shabbat is absolutely it's it's our day where we literally all spend in the same room together almost the entire time yep and we talk and we give each other a lot of crap or we play games <laughs> and talk uh, smack i think when the kids look back at, at time with us and i think they'll always look back at, at all that time that we spent on shabbat one seventh of our lives spent together kind of just relaxing and not being distracted and also what an opportunity i always used to love it when my parents would socialize I used to just sit under the table and listen to them and, you know, the back and <laughs> forth and the the jokes that I didn't understand and it always smelled of cigarettes. I, to this day, I love secondhand smoke and it's terrible, but it just reminds me of just really enjoying that. And I think our kids, with you especially, you're very social, me less so, but I'm social too. I think they get that chance to really sort of see us in action, see us making friends, us having a good life because we have a lot of friends and it makes our life more enjoyable. And I think it's, if there's anything that makes, I think, them social, they love that too. I mean, Marguerite loves having a big group of friends over, goofing off. They all do. Aviva does. They love going out and spending time with their friends. And it's something that, as, an, as a parent, that's what you want. You want to see your, your, your so, children surrounded by mm-hmm. other people who love them, who care about them, and like having fun with them. And as a Jewish parent, you know... It's not that they all have to be Jewish, but you love seeing them having fun and being true to their Jewish self. And I think all our children do that in different ways, but they all do that. Poo-poo, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. And that's actually funny. I never really thought about the idea of that, like you're sort of, you're modeling being social in a way and that they learn to be social by seeing you enjoy it. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think if our kids, when they grow up and they're married and they're thinking about, well, what do we do now? Invite some people over for Shabbat. And then you know what's going to happen is 
they're going to get invited over to some people for Shabbat. And, <laughs> or if it doesn't happen, they'll be like, how come nobody's inviting us over for Shabbat? What's wrong? Is it us? You know, <laughs> I think it's something that they're going to kind of just expect. No, 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 kids. It's still just the post-COVID problem. All right. Well, Marty, I know that you work a long day. You get up early and hanging out, talking on my podcast was not your highest priority for the rest of your night. But I really appreciate you coming on because there is momish nothing like it. Happy no. Father's Day, honey. Couldn't have done it without you. Thank you, hon. And I'm sorry I left you this huge mess to have to edit. <laughs> well, you know. happy Father's Day, honey. All right, honey. Thank you. All righty. Well, that wraps up another episode of Momish. Thank you so much for joining me and Marty here today. And I hope that your family enjoys Father's Day and has a great time celebrating family life. And whether it's your kid's father or your own father or the grandfathers or whether it's other people's fathers, neighbors, uncles, let's all celebrate the impact that fathers make on our families. There is mamish, nothing like it. Also, if you like this podcast, it would mean so much if you could follow and share and give it the stars, write a review, drop a note in our lunchbox. That's lunchbox at momish.com, M-O-M-M-A-S-H. We can't wait to hear from you and have a fantastic Father's Day. 